Welcome to the Give Yourself the Chat podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lewis, and this is the show dedicated to unlocking human potential and living a life of high performance. So hello, everyone. Welcome to Give Yourself the Chat podcast. I've got another guest with me. I have a a gentleman called Lee Chambers today. Uh, Lee, how are you? Good to see you. I'm really well, thank you, Peter, and thank you for having me on today. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, we were just talking off air, weren't we, at, uh, at how much we could talk about and how much of a shared interest we have in multiple different areas. And um, so we're going to cut right to the chase, really. Um, you're a young man. You're, you're 35 years old. And, and I said to you, you've probably packed more into that time than I mean, I was just exhausted listening to you, all the things that you you sort of rattled off. Um, but let, let's start with really your, your, your profession. You describe yourself um, as, a, as a functional life coach, but I know perhaps more recently you've taken issue even with your own title there. I'd be interested to explore. Let's just, just jump straight in. Uh, what, talk, talk to me about functional life coaching and what that might be and your thoughts around that. Yeah, so the, the initial impetus for the principle of functional life coach is that I felt that the term life coach it's fallen into a a generic abyss of people offering advice from a number of different angles on the many facets of life. And actually it's become so fragmented and overused that if you now took a sample of 50 people and asked them what a life coach was and what they did, you'll probably get 47 different answers. Um, So the impetus behind functional life coach is that I actually decided to take different elements and put them together in a, in a, in a function, in a model that could be utilized and how that, that came about from really shaping my own clients and really looking what worked with a diverse range of people and really boiled it down to people really need that initial understanding and ability to dig into themselves a bit and realize why they've got the goals that they've got. So that initial helping them with elements of purpose, mission, and direction gives people that, you know, the anchoring point. Mm. And then what I really put in there is I've got, you know, a physiological, psychological background. So firstly, we look physiologically. We look at nutrition, sleep, and movement. I utilize my qualifications there to give guidance on small changes that people can make that compound. Because again, when you're going to set off on this journey towards reaching your potential, moving towards your authentic self, it really helps if you start to embed health practices, which give you more energy to move. The more energy you have, the quicker you can propel yourself and the more you become compelled to move towards that vision that you're starting to shape and cultivate. Mm. Then with that additional energy, it's actually easier to start to tackle your limiting beliefs the habits that hold you back and you become more receptive to deciding to look a bit more around the basics of psychology and understanding behaviors, thoughts, feelings, and emotions and how you interact with the world. And then with all that as a fundamental base, we then start the coaching process of planning towards the goals that you selected and then empowering and encouraging you through that process. And I feel that quite often Coaching is very organic and it does have elements that work, but it's when you have to tailor it very, very individually into each person, it's hard to amplify the amplitude of what Mm. you can achieve. 
Mm. And I wanted to impact more people through my work. Yeah. So I've now expanded that into a workplace well-being practice. Right. And that's where I feel that the functional element has really helped because it's more programized, more functional and more brought into a methodology where it's still be able to be spoke to each individual. And yet there's a framework there to work from. That, that's a really interesting point that you've come to in your, in your sort of coaching practice. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've I've come to a similar oh gosh this, this is not emotion if anyone's listened this is <laughs> caught something in my throat we'll edit that one out um it, it's, it's interesting you say you've come out at that, that, that sort of programmatic level I mean I've I've been involved in coaching now for 12 years or so and, and that organic nature of coaching can often lead into Actually, you, you get some quick wins, but then actually it's the deeper underlying causes of human behavior and what's either supporting or not. So focusing on health and the optimum optimization of health and the four pillars of health and that is, is absolutely fundamental. So I, it's interesting. I, I've moved more to a programmatic curriculum sort of based approach um, with my clients as well. And, and, and actually it's, it's going down really well. So it's, it's interesting that we, we as coaches come to that and you're absolutely right that there's so many of us out there and you know in an unregulated industry it's sometimes really hard for a client to know actually am i with the right person but you're, you're certainly really qualified i know you're an environmental psychologist you've you're a lifelong learner and sort of um a student of modern philosophy and ancient intelligence i love that term i think we share a love of stoicism and all those other things that influence our lives but I just want to give the listener a, a, a bit of an insight into, into what you've packed into your life. You've also run and recently sold an e-commerce um, business, and, and congratulations uh, to that. But the challenges you faced in your life as well, 2014, I think I'm right in saying you suffered a chronic illness and, and lost the ability to walk um, whilst having a very young family, and I think a child on the way. Was, was that right? Um, that was right, yeah. My wife and, was six months pregnant. Uh, wow. And then having to learn how to walk again, uh, you've suffered with mental health challenges. Um, you've had doubters at every level saying you're too young to, to, to do all this kind of thing. So tell me about as, as, as much as you, you're, you're willing to this, this, uh, this losing the ability to walk and the, and the chronic illness and then recovering from that and becoming the man you are. Would you mind just exploring with us uh, that side of your, your past? That's yes, well, certainly. Um, so in so many ways, I, I hit 2014 and I was 29. Uh, my son was 18 months old at the time. And the previous year, me and my wife had got married. We'd bought our first house together. We'd gone holidaying in Florida and cruised around the Caribbean. And to all intents and purpose, to society and to our friends, we'd seemed to have settled into you know a nice family rhythm and everything looked uh, very flowery and fluffy from the outside. Um, and I just turned 29 and now is thinking with my second child, my daughter on the way, right, what can I do before I become even more sensible with, uh, with two children and my yeah. age beginning with a three? Um, and I, I went and partied with my friends and had a really, you know, a really fulfilling birthday. Uh, but then only a few days later, my immune system started to attack my joints and firstly, it was my wrist. So in so many ways, I was just like, I thought I'd banged it or I thought maybe I'd just overused the computer this week. Uh, and it was on a Friday when it started to swell up. 
So I just thought I'll go to the doctors on Monday and just see if it's anything serious. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, then on Sunday, I came back from a meal with my friends and my knee started to swell up. By the time I got back onto my driveway, couldn't actually move my leg properly. So I hobbled into the house and had a bit of a moment thinking, I can't move my leg. Like, this isn't great. But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the doctors on Monday and hopefully they should sort it out. Uh, so I go to the doctors and they give me some corticosteroids and say, you know, this swelling is quite bad. Hopefully they should take it down, give it a few days. If it doesn't, come back um, and we'll look, we'll investigate further. Uh, so start taking these and, you know, you're, you're a young lad. You, you kind of think you're a little bit indestructible and you think yeah. it'll be right. It'll be all right. It'll yeah, be okay. yeah. um, only on the Tuesday, all of a sudden, my shoulder started to swell up and move up towards my ear. So at that point, I was pretty painful. And I was mm. like, yeah, this isn't great. But I've got this medication. I'm going to give it another day. Yeah. So I wake up on Wednesday morning and my other knee is starting to swell up. And at this point, I was uh, on the Tuesday with, with one arm out of action and one leg out of action. I'm kind of like scaling the stairs like in an interesting way. Let's just say that when you can't yeah. move your leg and yeah. you can't weight bear on one arm. So <laughs> I was, uh, yeah. It it, it it was serious, but I probably wasn't taking it as serious as I should have. But I woke up on that Wednesday, my oven knee started to go, and I'm, so I managed to get myself down the stairs. My mother-in-law came around, took one look at me and said, hospital, now. Yeah, straight away. Straight to A&E, looked at by a consultant, consultant says, just, just take him through to the ward. <laughs> it was Gosh. like, okay. I took yeah. my obs and off I went. Um, so that was really, it was a, a challenge. I was in shock at that point. Like I've gone from fully independent, fully mobile, playing team sports, working a job, running a business, yeah. to lying in hospital bed with two legs out of action and one arm out of action, not able to shower myself, to feed myself properly, to go to the toilet. I, could, I couldn't do anything. I, I was literally trapped. <laughs> um, and that, that initial shock, it just, obviously, in, in that position, you're struggling to process anything. Yes, of course. Um, with my wife, six months pregnant, she's about to go on to maternity leave, but she's coming after work to help me shower, to help me help me eat. It's like it was. It was. It was. I didn't. I didn't really know how to process that initially. But what I was in was a lot of pain, as my body was attacking itself viciously, mm. and I was on morphine and tramadol just to take the edge off that, and that kind of put me onto a plane elsewhere initially, uh, where I wasn't even present, really, I don't think. But after a few days, the doctor started to stabilize me. They drained the fluid off my knees in front of my own eyes, which wasn't pleasant as they took like quarter of a part of fluid off my knees. Um, but what actually happened was that, that, shock, that shock of process and then negative emotions came. And I just knew, like I've had challenges previously around mental health and around redundancy. And I knew from those experiences, these negative emotions, I need to let them come. Don't suppress them. Don't ball them up. Let them come. Work with them. Let them pass. So that initial shock wore off and then I was, I was in despair and in a lot of ways frustration. So I'm 29. I'm young. I've looked after myself. I was healthy until a week ago. It doesn't seem very fair. Mm. So I had those days. And I was pretty grumpy about it. And then that kind of passed. 
and then I moved into grief. So started to anchor into my identity. So I'm a young man. I'm athletic. Physical mobility plays a big role in what I do. My son was coming at 18 months old. He wasn't able to articulate or understand why daddy couldn't get up out of bed and play. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that led me to feel an element of grief because I just didn't know what the future was going to hold. And then all of a sudden that starts to pass and I'm in the second week and you get so much time to reflect when you can't move. And I was there on a ward with three elderly gentlemen and speaking to them, they were saying, you know what, you're so young, you know, you'll be all right, just keep getting through it. And I was speaking to them and they were saying, you know what, we're coming towards the end of our lives and, you know, don't have any of the regrets that we've had. And kind of, I felt slightly reassured by that, but I was still okay. struggling. Yes. I was still there, not really getting any clarity from the doctors about what my future had. And then... I lay there on an afternoon. It was a Wednesday. The hospital where I was in had been moved up to another ward higher up in the hospital, which had a really nice view of the moors across from the hospital, like the window. Mm. And I sat and I sat lay there. You know, I was able to sit up a little bit now, which was helpful. And I just sat there and looked across those views and just thought, it's a massive world out there. You can't just lie here. You're going to have to have a turning point where you you really take this up and really I think that was that was me giving myself the word like saying yeah. giving yourself the chat yeah 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 yes. giving myself that word that chat that question what are you going to do and I, I, I lay back down and had a nap at that point and then walk up about an hour afterwards and I was just lay there kind of coming round and something just popped into my head after I'd questioned myself mm. before going to sleep, I then woke up and this just came. And it was like, not once in 29 years on this planet have you been grateful for walking. And now you've mm. lost it. Mm. Temporarily, possibly. But 29 years, not grateful once. There's people on this planet who are born unable to walk and never experience that. And you're going to lie here feel sorry about losing that but you've had it and you've never been grateful and that just expanded then I'm like wait a minute I'm here in hospital and I can't do these basic things for myself but there's people coming giving time and energy out of their lives to come and help me do all these things I've been grateful enough to them over these years yeah not grateful enough and then it just went even further because it literally just drilled down into my heart at this point and I was like I was like literally in tears and I was like <laughs> Wow, this is wow. Powerful. Um, yeah. I've grown up in the UK. I have had freedom. I've never been homeless. I've never been hungry. I've had opportunities around every corner, free healthcare, free education, freedom to set up a business, worked in a number of different industries, never been subject to war, to famine, to natural disaster. Wait a minute. Why am I sat here being ungrateful? Look at the life you've had, the opportunities. You mm. should be grateful for every minute you're alive, living this life full of abundance. Why are you going to look at this one thing that's happened to you and feel sorry? You're not. This has happened. It's how you react to it now. And at that point, I made that decision. It's just like a switch, and I cut off any other option. I was going to get back on my feet, 
and I was going to do everything proactively with my recovery to get back walking again. And I anchored into numerous different things. I was like, quite simply, I identify someone who walks. It's going to be incredibly painful, this journey. I'm going to make progress. I'm going to fall back. But I'm going to attack this disease as much as it's attacking me. I got discharged from hospital after a month into walking rehab. And then my daughter was born. And I was like, by the time she's walking, I'm going to be walking with her. She's been born here with no beliefs stuck to her, with none of society's grime that that's been thrown at you every day. She's got none of that. She's got some basic system to keep her alive. I'm going to get in that shower and wash all these limits, these boundaries, these expectations off me. I'm going to go on the journey with her. By the time she's walking, I'm going to be walking with her. I'm going to be running around the garden with my children. And again, I really anchored into that. It's not going to be how I feel. If I act how I feel, I will not fulfill the expectations that I have of myself to recover because mm. I'm, I felt awful on so many mornings in pain, stiff, yeah. sore. Yeah. But I had to do my exercises, my stretches, and drag myself to physio. And I did it because I'd anchored into that identity and decided who I want to become is what I will do. And what I will do will make me feel good because I am doing what I want to become yeah. rather than the other way around and doing what, what do I feel like? I feel awful. Am I going to do it? No. When I don't do it, my subconscious is like, you're going to feel bad, mate, because you've lied. You said yeah. you were going to recover and you're not doing it. You're yeah. not being congruent to yourself. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's such a powerful story, Lee, isn't it? And, and that, that idea of just taking yourself out of your own inner space to externally reference see the gratitude that you are and the abundance that you're living within. But here's the thing, and, I, and I've, I've wrestled with this and I've blogged about it myself, is that that condition is accessible to each one of us right now, no matter what your circumstance, but it takes a crucible moment like that in hospital, staring out in the moors for you to wake up to the fact that you can access that. And why, and as a psychologist, I mean, you'll be fascinated with, why is that? Because it's, it's accessible now in whatever state, be it uptime or downtime, you can access that gratitude. And yet we don't until we're, it's almost we're left with nothing else. Yeah. And, it, and in, in so many ways, it's part of our human condition. So as humans, we absolutely love things that are novel. Novel, mm. new experiences. So we get the new car. And you're like, oh, look at all these buttons. Ooh, yeah. Look at this comfortable seat. And then give it a few days and it's just your car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. everything else then becomes novel. And because we really appreciate novelty, the things that we can do that happen automatically that we don't think about, we struggle to reference and we lack the vision because we don't focus on it. So because you don't have to think to walk, because you don't have to think to breathe, because you don't think you think to sleep. Those three things are things that people take massively for granted yes. because breath work, optimizing your sleep and appreciating walking, well, people don't really anchor into that because you do it already. Mm. <laughs> and mm. we as human beings, so often we see the world through our lenses it's very difficult for us to step back into third person and realize that actually we should be 
spending time reflecting and following ourselves around as if we were an actor in a play and we were sat in the audience watching how you interact with the world because having that second set of eyes behind you yeah really helps you to appreciate how you move in the world by coming out there what you actually start to see is that what's happening to you right now is a shared human experience the feelings the challenges difficulties the problems that you have today are being experienced by millions of other people millions of other humans right now at this moment Mm. and yet how society is and how we are wired and the vision that we see is so so narrow it requires a level of self-awareness to step out to think laterally because we've taught through education through society and through a lot of our evolutionary elements to look vertically all the time. We're always looking to next solution, moving forward, moving up, making progress and building gratitude. It requires practice. It's like a muscle. The more you practice gratitude, the more you will see. We are very good at focusing on things we practice focusing on. So it's like going to a gym for your gratitude. You, by practicing gratitude, you build the muscle, which allows you not only to see more, but to have more capacity to be grateful, to have more strength to be grateful through challenging times when you're yeah. buffeted by the winds. And by practicing gratitude in the summer, you will still be grateful in the winter when it's pouring down, when it's freezing cold. And in so many ways, a lot of our psychological processes that we value are muscle-based. You stress them by practicing them. And then when you rest and recover, they grow. And your capacity, your ability, your strength, and your provision to use them increases. And what happens is people struggle to navigate those moments because we have a negative bias as human beings. Negativity sticks to our brains like Velcro. Mm. Positivity slips off like Teflon. Mm. And it actually requires you to practice almost training your brain to have some little hooks for those positive moments where it can land and be hooked on because otherwise it just slips straight off. And those elements of practice are what help people to navigate and find that gratitude in those times. And for so many of us, we just kind of exist and live We don't have acuity to our senses. We don't practice psychological elements that help us become more optimistic, to become more hopeful. We just chase happiness and try to almost achieve it like it's something that you could tangibly grasp, like it's a distant island that we're rowing towards at pace. And what happens is because we're so focused on chasing that happiness, we are rowing like a madman We don't see the lovely views of the ocean to the left or the right. And what happens is the island always travels further away. It's like the plates are shifting and the island just is always going a little bit away. It's always going to be out of reach. That's um... really happiness. It's not that distant island. No. More like a guiding star in the sky. And once you're aligned to your path and what's authentically you, you gradually roar towards that you know that star in the sky but you never expect to get there 
So you actually stop rowing for a minute, knowing that you're rowing in the right direction, but you look out and you see the stars shining on the water. You have those moments of joy and you just realize that it becomes a compass for your own decisions, for your own life that you want to live. And it becomes a compass for you finding things which bring you joy in the moment and joy in the long term. And once you identify that, you can then do more of it and it amplifies because then that ignites and incites joy in others. And you begin to help others move towards your potential and then help others to do the same thing. And the world becomes a happier place. Mic drop there, Lee. I think think you've just kind of articulated the secret to fulfillment and joy in this life. There's okay, but but we won't let ourselves off the hook that easily. Let's let's unpack a bit of that. That's uh, that was a really elegant um, sort of exposition and, and articulation of, of of several things there. The 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 root of which is that self awareness, um, I think. And there are so many people that experience life and accept that that experience is all they can because it's it's fixed in some way or it's degree it's deferred by by fate. But I think it's only when you start to develop that self awareness. And the compounding effect almost of that and that that sort of gym analogy around building the muscle um, is so is so true. But unless you're willing to expose yourself to the idea of practicing and incrementally building that to, to raise that awareness, you, you'll never even get off the starting block. So it's interesting. I want to take you back to that moment when you were staring out at the moors and you've had the, the, the elderly gentleman in the ward saying you've got so much of your life ahead, you can get through this. At that, it's easy to describe being grateful. It's easy to describe, well, do X, Y, and Z, but you reached a point where you, it's almost like you had no other option. And was there anything in your previous life? Because you mentioned about the sort of mental health challenges you had. Is there anything that kind of set you up for that moment, do you think? Or was it just, a, you know, the, the sort of the epiphany that you had? Is there anything that in your past that really helped you make the most of that opportunity staring out at the moors that time to make the change? Yeah, so I think in so many ways, again, people believe that they just had that moment and that self-enlightenment hit them like a lightning bolt. But really, so often, even in that massive adversity, it's how you practiced it in the past, even when you don't think you have that's mm. built something that's allowed you to then access it at a time in crisis when suddenly we become more innovative, creative, and dynamic. Uh, so what I, when I reflect on it now, I realize that some of my past challenges really prepared me to hit that moment and be able to move with it and have the capacity to do so. So I had a relatively stable upbringing in the north of England. And in so many ways, I had that childhood working class parents worked really hard, but instilled me with a work ethic. But I was the first one in my family to go to university. But I didn't really have a reference point, but we're very proud that I then set the example for other people that they could take the academic path. Because I was always that curious, disruptive child who was looking to do things differently and to experiment and yeah. to willing to put himself out there and wonder what happened. Um, so I went to university and really enjoyed the autonomy and the freedom initially. Um, but like so often happens, that was that kind of hedonic happiness of, yes, I'm, I'm out. 
I, I, I do all and what I kind of did is initially after all the fun of the clubs and the societies, I actually started to struggle. So I hit a point where I wasn't putting enough effort in academically. And that meant that I started to struggle because I, I wasn't doing anything outside of my lectures relating to my course. I was studying international business psychology. So I, I was, you have to cover quite a lot of ground because of the spacing of the units. So I was doing geopolitics, communication, language, business, and different core elements of that, and psychology, organizational and social as well. So it's quite a breadth of reading that you really had to do. And I had kind of coasted through a lot of you know, my academic background and wasn't really pulling enough effort in. But also what was happening is I was struggling because I was ready to make that adult transition. I was didn't have a reference point. So my own father, he spent a lot of time busy working and then doing his own thing. And we always had a relationship and it was never fractures, but it was never on any level deeper than the shallows of talking. Mm. So I've not really had that chance to access that. I looked out into society and as a young black male, your, you can you know model your icon. They either work in sport, film, or music. Look out to black scientists, black businessmen back 15 years ago. There wasn't really yeah. anyone in the mainstream for me to look at a model and say, that's like me. Maybe I can use this person as a reference point to build my own identity. Obviously, back then, I wasn't as understanding that. Actually, that comes from within you, your own authentic expression. But I did try and access that and find that I didn't have the emotional intelligence, the self-awareness, all the tools to get in there and dig. And what really happened then was I wasn't in that place where I am now, where I understand that to find your authentic expression, you have to take a chisel and go out and do things, do lots of different things to gradually find what resonates with you. So I sat there thinking and reading trying to think my way to clarity and read my way to action. And unfortunately, in that position, it didn't do anything but fill me with knowledge that I couldn't utilise. Yeah. And left me really wondering, why is why am I not getting any clearer? And that started to frustrate me. And in some ways, it started to lead to me not self-caring in the way that I should have. Because again, I'd moved out and I'd kind of got the hang of that, but then fallen out of the habit and I was presenting to 300 other students at university. In the middle of a presentation, I froze, choked, and another student stepped in and finished off my piece. But that really hit my confidence. Mm. And I was then on a slight spiral downwards where I, instead of approaching these issues and starting mm. to look back on them and dissect them and wonder why what had happened, I started to avoid. So I started to isolate myself. And that eventually led to me isolating myself for two weeks in my university dorm and then being taken home by my parents. So being taken home was, it was quite embarrassing at the time. And yeah, yeah it gave me the space, which was really important because I needed that space to process what had happened. And by doing that, then realized that what I'd done is I'd literally put my head in the sand after not being able to find an answer. And I realized that in life, you're going to come across challenges. But if you look vertically and everything seems blocked off, you've got to actually look laterally and see what you can access. Because so often we have a very two-dimensional view of the world. 
we only really see what's in front of us. And yet we actually need a four, four, four or five dimensional view of the world because there's a lot of different planes out there to explore. And as soon as you actually open your eyes up and realize, well, there's pathways either side, there's pathway up, there's a pathway down. Yeah, <laughs> you can yeah. dig, you can dig, you can retreat, <laughs> you can move side to side. Yes, You've yeah. got, you, you know, you can fly up in the air and you can jump in the helicopter. Uh, and I started to realize that actually the biggest thing I could take from that is it's my responsibility to build my own self-awareness and find out how to express myself authentically. If I spend my whole life avoiding that, I'll never be who I am. If I start to approach it, and yeah, it's going to be a little bit scary. Yeah, there's going to be elements of fear there. But actually, I need to step into that because that's where I am, my growth, my potential. But more importantly, me, you know, the real Lee is there waiting to be discovered. And if I don't step into that, then how am I ever going to express myself to the world? I'm just going to be walking around as some construct who doesn't really really have any identity. that initial understanding of you're going to have to approach, not avoid, that helped me after those negative emotions to start to approach, what can I do? What's my potential? Where can I go? The second one was I went through that and started to refine and define who I was by going out there and doing things. I went back to university because I felt I had to go through that process, get back, graduate firstly to prove that I could continue to progress but secondly to step back outside that comfort zone and go again but do it more mindfully step by step instead of running all the way over straight into panic and then <laughs> going bonkers and retreating again mm. so I'll I le- what I'll learn is really courage and bravery is not running into that blazing building it's just taking those tiny steps outside of your comfort zone the more you do it, the more you become cultured, the more you become you know, cultivated, and, and the more you start to grow into that and your boundary, your comfort zone starts to expand. Yeah, and, 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 and therefore, your, I guess, your degree of sense of control as well and agency starts yeah. to expand with that. Yeah, and with that agency, suddenly when you link that into the will to get back on my feet and the why to play with my children agency plus will plus why is an incredible motivator to flip the focus and remove the suffering and go for it. Mm. Um, And also I graduated out into the financial world in 2007, worked really hard for six months and then was made redundant and lost the funding for my training. And again, that initial feeling of that was, whoa, this, this is what I wanted to do. This has been yeah. taken away. Timing sucks. <laughs> no, other, no other finance jobs for me to go into. So yeah. I'm going to have to pivot on my career after six months. And what that actually did was it made me realize you take ownership of your career and of your training. If you take ownership, you have the autonomy of control. No one can take away your business. You can, and you can fail. And you can then look why you failed and learn from it. But it's removing those external wins. Those external wins will hit you, but you can move within them if you've got the autonomy of control. And if you pay for your own qualifications, you'll probably do them. You've got skin in the game. And again, you get to pick what you do. And therefore, you have elements of control and elements of investment 
which really help to, you know, to battle through when qualifications get a little bit difficult. Mm. Mm. That's uh, is interesting. I, I love the, uh, well, I love all of that actually, but uh, you, I've made a note here as you were talking, you said you could either, you know, you think yourself to clarity or read yourself to action, but actually it's really about taking that step to decide to do something. And, and, and I think that again, it speaks to that self-awareness piece. It's a, uh, the multiple planes of, of options that we have, it's a blessing and a curse because the moment you become more self-aware, you realize, well, actually, I've got all these options. Why am I prevaricating? Why am I procrastinating? Actually, I just need to get on do. But actually linking it to a, a stronger desire and something more external, again, we come back to that. I mean, this, this whole chat that we've had is all about how you give yourself the chat around that. But it, 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 I think it speaks um, to so much more. I, I want to pick up on, if I may, your some of your interests and particularly around um, the philosophy and and this term ancient intelligence uh, I'm, I, I love that term but I'd, I'd like to get your view on what that means for you and perhaps we could then segue on to some of the more influential sort of ancient philosophers or, or, or readings or schools that have influenced your thinking on the world yeah so, so in so many ways ancient intelligence for me is the fact that when we look at what we consider today to be the modern self-improvement, personal development, and in a lot of ways, scientific movements, so much of it has already been discussed two, two and a half thousand years ago. And in fact, these people had heightened levels of self-awareness because they had so much less stimuli, so much less advice so much less information push that they actually had the capacity in the space to look at these things mm. in a world that was different, but actually come to incredibly clear conclusions on yeah. the human condition, how we react to the world and our environments, how we interact with each other. And it's funny because the more that we start to understand from a molecular biological level, it validates so many of their teachings, of their points. And I think the biggest thing for me, and I'm a massive proponent of the fact that physiologically and psychologically, we are massively interconnected. Take the ancient Greeks, the, the, the ancient gymnasium on one side, the wrestlers were training. On the other side, the philosophers taught mm. in the same building physical and mental were treated as the same in the same building. You work on your body, you work on your mind, mm. you chisel your body to show the gods your potential and you work your mind to explore the potential that the gods have given you to look at the world from a number of different angles. And that, in so many ways, a modern gym, it should have, a philosophy school attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> why well, not? They well, had. Well, I'm well. sure they had it right because it's so interconnected. You could go and get your cognitive flexibility, your cognitive capacity flowing by doing some exercise, that blood pump into your brain, and then you could go and sit there and absorb information. But not only that, you would have the cognitive capacity to utilise that, to shape it, to fragment it and to in some ways cultivate it 
into the world and see it out there rather than just absorbing some facts to then spit back out like so much of the self-development world yeah, is today. Yeah. That, that's interesting, isn't it? How they held um, the, the, the physical realm and, and the sort of the mental realm in the same degree of reverence and importance yeah. and the sort of symbiotic relationship between those two. And yet fast forward two and a half thousand years and, oh, funny old thing, sport is now waking up to psychology and philosophy and, and how that affects performance. And it's like, <laughs> dude, we knew that two and a half thousand years ago, duh. Um, <laughs> but now it's, it's, yeah, it's cutting edge. Well, no, it's not cutting edge. It's interesting about your, your description of, of how they had less distraction and therefore more time to reflect. And I guess if we bring that to, to us and, and, and the listeners is about, well, how can we do more of that? Back to, you know, we can always access gratitude. We don't have to wait for a chronic illness. Right, let's, let's kind of finish our time up by some thoughts around what are some practical things that, that the listeners can start to, to do and practice not only to give themselves a chat, but just access that, that state of being where we do start to develop our self-awareness and, and realize the degree of agency and control that all of us have. Yeah, and I think that for, for me personally, it so often starts with we have a lot of control in our lives over our AM and PM bookends. Most people in the world, you have a socially defined wake-up time, whether it be for children, for work, or for family engagements, or something that gets you up in the morning at a time that's defined socially, and a time when you finish your daily activities. So we actually have period in the morning, period in the evening, where we have the most autonomy and control. And what's really important is to try and harness those, especially the morning, because for most people in the Western world, the first thing that we do is get some stimulus and inputs in the morning. Problem is, those stimulus and inputs are from someone else, someone else's agenda. So yeah. it's either from social media, it's from the news, it's from work email, it's some kind of advertisement or marketing. And as soon as that hits you, you lose the ability to be in your own world because you're dragged into someone else's. And when you're dragged into someone else's world, you can't reflect. You can't navigate your own pipe work, so to speak. And what that does is it means that you're then dragged off on a little pathway somewhere that then takes you on your day on that winding path, being blown about from one section to the other. Well, if you take your time in the morning and instead of jumping straight into the world, you actually take some time to stay in your own realm mm. so the first thing i do in the morning is i wake up i wash my face and i drink a glass of water well that's for me i'm there and suddenly i'm hydrated and i'm refreshed and i'm present in myself and then i meditate and take that time to connect to myself and disconnect from the external world but it becomes reflective practice for me now there's lots of different types of meditation and people need to experiment what would work for them. For some people, it's not meditation, it's silence, it's prayer, it's yoga, but there's always some kind of reflective practice that you can use to go into your own mind, anchor into your own body and start listening to yourself. And that, again, is something that practice. Meditation is like anaerobic training for your brain. And 
like, don't, so many people go into meditation with expectation. Don't go into meditation with goals. It's not goal-orientated practice. It's like, don't expect to go to the gym a few times and then suddenly look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But meditate consistently for a period. You will start to find that you can pull your attention around easier. You can focus more on doing the things that you need to do. But what it also does is it opens a pathway for you to then add other elements to it. So I decided to add to the meditation and do 10 minutes of exercise. So something that then gets my cognitive processes flowing. I then listen to 10 minutes of a positive podcast. And this would be a great podcast to split across five days of a week and listen to get an insight from 10 minutes at a time. Mm. Then I read a few pages of a book quite often, something from before the world was full of technology because those books were written when people didn't have all the shallow distractions. So they had the time to go really deep into concepts and explore them. And it's great to read from other people's perspectives in a positive frame and a context that can give you maybe one little nugget that you can then take and try and apply in your life. And then just go and look outside, get some sunlight in your eyes. And in that period, that's time for you. The ultimate self-care is in the morning to have a time that grounds you, that gives you a chance to reflect on yourself. I then like to do a little bit of journaling. And again, writing is so powerful when it's not with massive intention, but it's designed to highlight and to harness some of our ability to get what we focus on. So write a little bit of what you're grateful for or little things you want to achieve or maybe a little bit about who you want to become. And it just once again primes you to look for those things in the world. You start to see more of them. It's practice. Everything in the world takes practice. We don't suddenly give up walking when we're a child because it didn't work a few times. We practice and persevere, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we don't we don't stop riding our bike because we fell off a few times. No, no. For some reason, as an adult, you decide that unless you can visibly, tangibly see it, surely it's not worth it. It's not worth yeah. practicing. Or, or and, unless unless you can do it straight away, and that uh, yeah. Um, it, it, there's there's so much of what you described there is my own morning actually, um, but absolutely wake up to your plan, not somebody else's, and and just carving a little bit of time, even if it's just a fifteen minutes to start with, then it feels like you've won the day and you yeah. get the day off onto a great footing. And one thing I do, going back to the sort of theme of gratitude, is the first thing I do is be grateful for waking up because there's so many people every morning that don't get the luxury of doing that. And I think if you can just tap into that and practice doing that, to your point, it starts to build, it starts to expand, it affects the degree of control and agency and choice that you have. And if you feel like you have choice, then you have enormous flexibility and you can explore some of those multiple planes and, and options that you have. Lee, this is fascinating. We, we, we've gone well over the allotted time that we thought we were going to chat. And do you know what? I think there's another couple of episodes in this content further down the line. But, but before we leave and, and, and before I kind of express my gratitude for you being on this podcast, if, if people uh, wanted to get in touch with you or find out more about your approach to, to many things, um, how, how can they do that? Yeah, the best ways would be to visit my website at essentialize.co.uk and I'm on all the socials, most active on LinkedIn at Lee Chambers and Instagram at Essentialized Coach. 
That is amazing. Well, um, it's been an honor to chat with you. I do thank you for your the depth of your um, your analysis and your thoughts and, and willing to share your story, which is absolutely fascinating. And like I say, you've crammed so much into the, the first 35 years. Heaven knows what you're going to get up to for the next 35. But we'll certainly keep in touch. And I'd love to have you back on the podcast at a future episode. But for the time being, thank you so much, Lee. It's a pleasure, Peter. Thank you. Another amazing guest on Give Yourself the Chat there. Really enjoyed chatting to Lee and his deep understanding of not only ancient philosophy, but modern practices in psychology and therapy and, and coaching. Um, I think it's one of those episodes you'll want to come back to time and again, and each time that you listen to it, you'll, you'll discover something new. I know I certainly will. If you've enjoyed that, then please get in touch with me at my website, peterlewiscoaching.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, go and explore all the previous ones. It's on all major podcast platforms. And please get in touch and suggest which guests you'd like me to chat to or which subject material you'd like me to cover. But in the meantime, thank you so much for being a listener and sharing my content. And I look forward to seeing you on the next one.